0: All right, here we go. It's 2016. Facebook's F8 conference has just kicked off, and there's one hype cycle that's about to descend on the minds of every tech worker. That's right, bots. Reading that TechCrunch write-up about the conference now is almost surreal. The Facebook Messenger bot store would, quote, be arguably the most consequential event for the tech industry since Apple announced the App Store in March of 2008, end quote. Not only that, but the same article claims Steve Jobs himself could never have imagined the impact this type of decision would create. And it concludes by saying, quote, watch out, Apple. Now, two years later, Facebook Messenger is... Well, still Facebook Messenger. There's 300,000 active business bots on Messenger. But where's the utopian bot future I was promised? We haven't gone full zero to hell 9,000, but bots have actually started to change the way we live. Enter Daniel Schreiber and his bot-powered insurance company, Lemonade. Daniel is taking an industry that's weathered basically every technological revolution. And continues to operate in the same way it did in the Middle Ages. It's no wonder humanity has collectively come together, arm in arm, to despise the very thought of insurance companies. But here's the thing. You wouldn't, or couldn't, drive a car without insurance. People would never buy a home without insurance. Doctors would never operate on emergency room patients without insurance. Our entire economy and society is really built on the backs of insurance. Daniel tells me how he's using bots to help make insurance more human. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and this is The Gross Show. So Daniel, how would you describe the general state of insurance today?
1: Insurance has been around for um, a bunch of time. Um, you know, it's been fairly formidable in the last hundred years, but it's been growing the last 300 years, it's been technically around for thousands of years. And I think there's an argument to be made that it has got progressively worse by some measures. Um, mm. You know, we tend to think about customer kind of fit, um, market fit, how much do people connect to a product and how much does the value proposition speak to them? Right. And I think by, by that measure, we've seen um, a regression. And as much as people didn't like insurance in the Middle Ages, I think they oftentimes dislike it even more these days.
0: Huh. And so, okay, if you're an average insurance customer using traditional insurance, what's your experience like today?
1: Insurance in the US and in Europe and elsewhere is dominated by the same players that dominated 100 years ago and sometimes two or 300 years ago. It's literally the same companies. Not literally the same people, <laughs> but literally the same companies. And typically, it'll be the same user experience, going to a broker, speaking to them, filling out some forms, getting an insurance policy that is long, convoluted, and, and impenetrable to the consumer who's buying the product. And then when they come to make a claim, they've got this sense of being in a conflicted relationship with a claims assessor, um, an uneven playing field where they feel that the deck is stacked against them, whether it is or it isn't. The asymmetry of information and the fundamental kind of conflict that if I make a claim, you have less money and I have more money at the end of it. Yeah, All of those things feed into kind of interpersonal dynamics and just the behavioral economics that makes for almost, I want to say, a toxic environment. And actually, insurance companies, I think, are much better than they're given credit for. Um, And notwithstanding that fact, the perception is really what predominates, and it is a a pretty negative one.
0: Well, so let me ask you about that, though, because there's, okay, so from your perspective, there's been a negative perception. It's almost a toxic environment. Why hasn't it changed to this point? Some would say no change is a good sign.
1: Yeah, I I don't think that's the case. Um, Really, what we've seen is industry after industry after industry um, adopt technology and transparency and rethink business models periodically as the world kind of evolves. And insurance is one that has remained pretty much unchanged for for the last hundred years. So really, it's a byproduct of the industrial revolution. And we've had several revolutions since then, but insurance has weathered them without really adapting. And I think that what that means is exactly what I was saying earlier, where you've got a misfit, an increasingly severe misfit between what consumers want and what they have offered to them. So people today expect to be able to use their smartphone, to be able to use their computers, to be able to right? yeah. buy products instantly from anywhere, anytime. Technology enables that. Why not an in insurance? Why are we still talking to a broker on a high street? Now, some stuff may require that, but a lot of stuff doesn't. And it goes deeper than that. I think it's um, the case that people feel... Conflicted with their insurance company, they have a sense that insurance companies make money by denying claims. Right, and then it brings out the worst in us, right? If we feel that that's the case, if we don't trust in the system, then we suddenly feel like we can let out the devil and we can embellish our claims. And of course, that then invites a countermeasure of, "Oh, now I'm really going to suspect that you're overclaiming, and I'm going to scrutinize and throw bureaucracy at you in a way that you wouldn't have expected." And that thing then spirals onwards and downwards, and you end up where we are today
0: it becomes this sort of contentious relationship. So your company, Lemonade, is trying to go about this a different way. For those who haven't heard of Lemonade, how would you describe it?
1: Lemonade is a young um, insurance company, and we rebuilt insurance from scratch. We, we started off, both myself and my co-founder don't come from the insurance space. We're 20-year tech veterans and came to insurance with an outsider's perspective. And we we went back to a whiteboard, and we thought, well, insurance is an interesting space, but we know nothing about it. And instead of going and studying insurance, swatting up on it and becoming experts, we decided to do the opposite, which is milk our ignorance for all it's worth, try and take advantage of that kind of virgin approach, the the blank slate, to rethink some of the fundamentals. Um, So we ended up with an insurance company that is built from scratch. We don't work for or we're not a front for a traditional insurance carrier. We became an insurance carrier. Right. We built technology stack entirely from scratch, every single line of code. And we invented the business model from scratch. So you end up with a business model that is unconflicted with a opportunity to buy insurance in seconds, to get paid in seconds, to save money in the process. The whole system ends up being a really different experience.
0: See, I think that's what's interesting to me about that is you're not just attaching technology to an existing model, which I think is what a lot of companies do, that you really did kind of, as you, in your words, start from scratch.
1: We felt that that was necessary. It sounds like the hard way. But actually, I think that if you think about it, you realize that trying to transform an industry as massive, as entrenched, with as much legacy as traditional insurance companies have, that's the hard thing to do. Starting from scratch, paradoxically, I don't mean to downplay how complex it is, but it's easier. Right. We want to drag insurance kicking and screaming if we have to out of the 18th century and into the 21st.
0: Why is that industry so averse to technology and to modernization?
1: I'm not sure that it is. Um, not in some senses. In other words, I think that the leadership of large insurance companies are pro-innovation. But as with any sector, when you when you are CEO of a company doing tens of billions of dollars and employing tens of thousands of people across you know dozens of countries, oftentimes that's a huge battleship to turn around. And sure. then suddenly you wake up and you realize that oh wow, we've moved a technology stack that we've been building since the 70s is obsolete. The whole legacy broker system that we have tens of thousands of brokers, there, there maybe is not the way that customers want to buy some of our products anymore. Mm-hmm. And transforming that, even if you see the writing on the wall, um, is is genuinely difficult. And I, I think the the leadership of those companies sees the writing on the wall, but that doesn't turn them into an Amazon. That's not how they're staffed. They're not built on a digital substrate. Their business models are conflicted, and, and often that's how their customers uh, perceive them. And those are not things that are easy to transform. It's, it's easier to start from scratch.
0: So who's using Lemonade right now? And what's their experience like? How does that differ from their experience with another insurance provider?
1: So Lemonade sells renters insurance, homeowners insurance, condos insurance. We are licensed to sell other kinds of insurance and we'll get there. But we started off with those um, products. Our customer, as you might imagine, tends to skew younger. And the experience is you, you go to Lemonade.com or you download the Lemonade app if you want the, the ultimate experience and you, you chat to a chat bot. We have a, a bot, she's called Maya. She's kind of cheeky and she's got a bit of personality and she'd love to talk to you about your insurance needs. And you, literally, if you're standing in line at, at Starbucks, you start the chat with Maya while you're, you're chatting. And before your latte is out from the barista, you'll have yourself insured. And it starts at five dollars a month. So we're seeing radically uh, different pricing. um we're seeing an experience that is playful and instantaneous. And that kind of experience continues to accompany you throughout. So as extraordinary as what I may have described to you is in terms of buying insurance, that experience goes all the way through to changing your policy. You wake up one night, you say, hey, I need more coverage, I need less. You just log onto the app and you make a change. And a second later, it takes effect. No brokers, no, nobody to speak to, no paperwork, Yeah, literally zero paperwork. And then when you come to make a claim, it's a similar thing. So you, you open up the, the app, you press make a claim, and you're chatting to a bot and you describe what happened. And you say, hey, you know, my laptop was stolen. I was at Starbucks and I... Went to the restroom when I came back, my laptop was gone. And in a third, approximately a third of claims that we get now, the bot pays the claim on the spot. And I'm talking literally within three seconds, you'll have the money wired back onto your debit card or to your bank account. And even in the other two thirds that aren't paid instantaneously, our average time to pay a claim is less than a day. So we are seeing how technology can really transform the whole user experience from from start to finish.
0: Right. Why bots?
1: We don't like forms, um, but we're, we're happy to chat and it's our mode of communication, right? We're using WhatsApp and we're using other messenger or whatever to, to chat all the time. So just getting into the slipstream of our life and saying insurance should be no different to how you chat to your friend or how you do other stuff, um, that's really what's been driving it.
0: Well, are there any limitations to the way that customers use bots in the insurance process?
1: I think for our customer, for the generation that we're targeting, for the kind of future of how people want to interact with insurance... That is the preferred method. And yes, it is automated, but that translates into instantaneous, always available. Right. You're not put on hold and told that your call is important and will be answered in the order in which it was received. So by and large, all of those things result um, in very high levels of satisfaction. And they offset any shortcomings that the system might have.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because the stuff that you're mentioning seem like very basic things, you know, the the instantaneous response. Uh, not having to do a ton of paperwork. Do you feel like this level of customer satisfaction is almost low-hanging fruit with how bad it's traditionally
1: been? No question. No question. Um, I I think that the bar has been set very low, um, and we're the beneficiaries of that. And and it's not only that, but there's also been a a massive pent-up dislike for the industry, which in itself is kind of intellectually curious. Insurance is fundamentally a social good. It's about a community pooling its resources to help those in their hour of need, And it's an economic necessity if you think about it, and we don't often. No plane would take off without insurance. No doctor would operate without insurance. No lawyer would, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's a huge enabler of of so much um, in our economy. And yet its perception is so, so negative. So when we came along with a a business model that was different and and a user experience model that is different, we found people were were super receptive.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like a lot of this is about winning the trust back of consumers towards insurance. And so you mentioned you do have a different sort of model of operating. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So one of our founding team members is uh, Professor Dan Ariely. And he spent the best part of 10 years researching what it is about humans that makes us sometimes behave well and at other times behave poorly. And he Mm -hmm. wrote a book, a New York Times bestseller called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Dan says is that if you set out to design a system to bring out the worst in humanity, it would look a lot like an insurance company. (laughs) It literally ticks all the wrong boxes. Right. Um, It's a win-lose proposition. So you come and make a claim of me. If I decline your $1,000 claim, you're $1,000 poorer, I'm $1,000 richer. So we're in a conflicted relationship with our customers, which is a terrible foundation on which to build a business. Um, There's an asymmetry of information. I know what uh, stuff about insurance. To you, it's convoluted bunch of gobbledygook, um, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those things make for deep distrust. um, And then I distrust you because I think you're going to game the system. And by the way, you are. 25% of Americans when surveyed admit or, or actually say it's okay to embellish claims to insurance companies. I like to quip that the other 75% were brought up not to admit that kind of thing to strangers. (laughs) Yep. He asked himself, and we asked ourselves as outsiders, what is it about insurance, which is this fundamental social good, this economic necessity, what is it about it that brings out the worst in us and makes us feel entitled to become liars and cheats and fraudsters? Which is pretty amazing, because fraud in insurance, which is endemic and massively expensive, is not conducted by hackers from, from China or from East Europe or anything else. It's by you and me. It's by the customers of the insurance company who feel entitled to, to lie and to defraud insurance companies. Right. And all of that brought us to the conclusion that there was something flawed in the business model, that the very idea that I'm in conflict with you, my customer, that's a foundation upon which trust cannot be built. And I can throw ads at you. I can tell you that so many minutes will save you so many percent. I switched and saved. Yeah. I'll end up with very generic kind of messages, but trust is not going to be a big, big part of that. So what we did at Lemonade is we said, well, let's think how we can go back to some of the foundations of insurance because it wasn't always thus. It started off as a communal affair where people are pooling resources to help each other out. And is there a way that we could somehow introduce the communal aspect here? And our business model, the the long and short of it is we take a flat fee, which in the tech scene is not unusual, but in insurance is pretty much unheard of. Right. So you pay us your premiums and we tell you in advance, we're only going to take a flat fee. You make a claim, you don't make a claim. The next million people make a claim, don't make a claim. Our percentage that we're going to take is fixed.
0: It's transparent.
1: Fixed and transparent. And what that means is that we don't really know how many claims are going to be. We we guesstimate and we price accordingly. If there's money left over at the end of the year, we don't keep that money because that is the money that poisons the relationship between you and me, right? That's the money that we're fighting over. And I want to come to you with clean hands. And I want to say to you, hey, Megan, claim what you claim, but know that if there's money left over... It's going to go to a charity of your choosing. Mm -hmm. Who do you want to give it to? And in fact, we incorporated Lemonade as a certified B Corp. Yeah. And what we say is social impact isn't for us bolted on as an afterthought. It's built into the business model itself. And when you buy insurance with Lemonade, you choose a cause. It's a give back cause. And then once a year, we look if there was money left over. We've already taken our cut. And if there's money left over, we give it back to the community. And that changes everything. Because suddenly you as a customer, when you're making a claim, we remind you that, hey, it's, it's the Women in Need charity or the Friends of Firefighters or the ACLU or whatever charity that you designated, your local soup kitchen, that's the place that the money that's left over is going. And suddenly your mind starts working differently. Instead of thinking that it's you against the machine, you realize that defrauding this transaction isn't going to hurt Lemonade. Lemonade's profits are fixed. It's going to hurt a charity that you care about. Yeah. And conversely, we'll, we'll bring our better selves to the table because we don't get to, if we deny your claim, we're not going to be able to keep that money anyway. So what incentive do we have? Yep. And that changes the whole game.
0: More from Daniel after a quick word from our sponsor. Interested in picking the minds of self-made entrepreneurs? Then check out the Growth Everywhere podcast, hosted by Eric Sue. Eric interviews entrepreneurs who took an idea from a garage or a bakery in the case of Larry Kim and turned it into a multi-million dollar business. Some of our favorites, Hooked author Nir Ayal on why products become so addictive, The League founder Amanda Bradford on creating an exclusive dating app for successful professionals, and FabFitFun co-founder Michael Brukim on why he went into the subscription lifestyle business. Find growth everywhere wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, back to the show. So this charitable element that you have built into Lemonade, does it feel essential to who you are? Could you exist without it?
1: I think we'd be very different without it. In in a sense, the way to think about what we're doing is we've changed a bilateral transaction into a trilateral transaction. In other words, insurance would typically be you, the customer, and us, the insurance carrier. And suddenly we've introduced a third party into the transaction. And that changes our behavior and it changes yours. Um, And we think it changes the game. And we're big believers. I use the word game advisedly. We're big believers in game theory. I don't think for a second that my moral fiber is in any way superior to that of any other insurance company. Yeah. In fact, I think I'm as vulnerable to conflicts of interest as anybody. But because of that, you have to, you know, it's not the players who are at fault. It's the game. If the game is built with a conflict of interest, it surely will manifest at some point in the relationship. Right. And therefore, a lot of our thinking up front was, how can we redesign the game so that we don't get to pocket that money? You, we will trigger different parts in your brain. And therefore, we could model out a game where the result is fundamentally different. So I I think this is pretty much foundational. It doesn't mean we're not for profit. We are for profit. Right. But it's in a form of enlightened self-interest. We think that the best way to create a lovable brand in insurance is to solve the conflicts of interest at its very core. So for us, it was about going back to that and the social impact and the charitable contributions that we make. Yeah. That's not paternalistic giving. That's not us being generous. It's built into the very business model. And we feel like those charities have earned it because they've solved the most endemic problem with insurance, which is trust.
0: Sure. And it's what's fascinating to me about all of this is… It, it seems like a very human approach to insurance. And and, and I say human both because it's doing a, a social good, but also because it sort of recognizes what incentivizes humans to behave in a certain way. But what's fascinating to me about that is while being human in its its approach, you're employing technology and, and bots into the process. Do you ever get a sense of fear from customers or hesitancy to, to let something like insurance be done by a humanless process? Or does it not seem that way to them?
1: We do ever. Sure, and sometimes the customers expressing those concerns are perhaps not ready for for lemonade and that they want to pay a little bit more and go through a little bit more of a traditional process, and, and that's fine. If you want to speak to a broker, go to your local State Farm agent and you'll be well-served. And I don't mean that sarcastically. You know, those options are available. Sure. The, the demographic that is underserved is the one that's used to doing it in their pajamas at 1 a.m. And, or doing it while they're standing in line at Starbucks, like I said. And, and they've not been well-served, have they? There's just been no optionality right. for them. There's been no equivalent to an Uber or an Amazon or Spotify, for that matter, for insurance.
0: Right, the way that life actually happens, not being able to, to take off from work midday to go to an insurance agent.
1: Exactly, exactly. or to handle claims and paperwork. And sure. then they ask you to fax stuff and you say, what is a fax machine? Yeah. <laughs> but I think that it's not simply that younger people are thinking differently, but I think the world is changing. Yeah, I think that, yes, while some people will continue to feel that way, the, the dynamic is shrinking, and I think the secular trend is pretty clear.
0: What's What's next in your mind?
1: Um, that's a great question. So I think that this is really just the beginning in, in a pretty profound sense. So, yes, the switching to technology is, is clearly something that is transforming sector after sector, but I think in insurance it is uniquely powerful in a way that will only reveal itself in the future. So everybody today any app that you talk to any tech company that you talk to they all talk about machine learning and ai mm-hmm. um, you may be ordering a, a sushi from your local food uh, store whatever and they'll the company delivering it will talk about how they're using algorithms to optimize routes and and the purchases of their of their fish or whatever but at the end of the day their product is sushi mm-hmm. and the, the statistical analysis that machine learning and the data crunching that they can do is ancillary and it's around the edges and optimization right insurance doesn't have any product um, other than statistics. It's an oddity in that sense. Insurance is statistics. Data is the core product. It is a financial product that is entirely driven by statistical estimates about risks and likelihoods of events. Right. And therefore, when you switch to a digital platform like Lemonade, what suddenly happens, and this is the part of the whole transformation hitting the insurance industry that I think is little understood, Is that yes, the first hit that you get, the tip of the spear, is a delightful consumer experience. You get stuff done in seconds, you lower costs, and that is transformative, and entire industries have been transformed by nothing but that, and that's great. Right. But the deeper transformation is that those delightful interactions are generating tons of predictive data. And suddenly, customers, instead of filling out 20 questions in a questionnaire, are interacting in a way that generating deep insights into their kind of risk characteristics. And I think the future of underwriting and of pricing risk is going to be transformed by the kind of data sets that never existed before. Right. And that only technology companies, only companies built on a digital substrate can really create and then implement um, new products based on those insights. And we're beginning to see that happening. I think that is really where the future lies.
0: So improve the experience first and then have that leading to improving the entire approach.
1: I think that's right. I think it will deeply change it in a way that medicine is changing. You go to to your doctor and she does a blood test once a year, annual checkup or what have you, and she'll see 20 blood markers and give you a sense of how healthy you are. And then suddenly instead of that, we switch to genetic screening. And suddenly I've got 1.5 gigabytes of information. And maybe you've got an Apple Watch and it's giving me 24-7 reads on your sleep patterns, your exercise patterns, and your heart rate patterns. Right. And suddenly I've moved to a level of resolution where at 20 data points, N equals millions, millions, tens of millions of people look very similar to me. And suddenly when I switch this new digital infrastructure, N equals one, I see you as an individual in very, very high resolution, and I can treat you uniquely and differently to how I treat everybody else. And that's what precision medicine is about. Mm-hmm. Insurance holds the promise of a similar revolution where... The legacy carrier knows how to collect those 20 data points in that form with a broker. But the digital infrastructure allows for far deeper insight and to be able to see you in three dimensions with deep textured data and offer you insurance products and services and pricing that is orders of magnitude better than what we've had for the last centuries.
0: So in any parallel industry where data is the, the true product and currency, are you saying that bots and AI can really predict the future?
1: I think they have the present in many industries and that insurance has to catch up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Thank you so much. It was fascinating. Thanks, Megan. Today's episode was produced by Matthew Brown and featured music from Synchronize. In fact, one of their songs is playing right now. If you're a fan of the show do me a quick favor, subscribe to the show. It really helps to get the word out, and it also means that you'll be the first to get new episodes delivered to your device every week. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and thanks for listening.